finished up chapter 4 last week. Got a few more sermons in 1 Timothy before we're finished with it. First Timothy chapter five. We'll read our passage for this morning and then we'll pray. First Timothy chapter five. I'm going to go from verses one to sixteen. Pretty pretty large chunk of text here. Uh, So let's read God's word. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let's pray. Uh, God, we ask for your help this morning. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so this is a, is an odd text uh, that we've come to today. It can it can really just sound very strange uh, when you first read it. And you know, just like we were talking about last week uh, here at Trinity Fellowship Church. Uh, Just as our sending church, Redeemer Fellowship Church in Barstown, uh, we really believe in expository preaching, which means that uh, we seek to expose what God's word says. Uh, We want to make the meaning of the text, uh, the the meaning of our sermon, right? Uh, Whatever the text is saying, we want to communicate that uh, loud and clear uh, to ourselves because we want to hear from God. We don't want uh, our own opinions. We don't want to hear. We don't really care what man has to say. Uh, We really do want to know what God has to say. And um, throughout the the history of the church, the church has believed that, you know, preaching line by line through the text of scripture is the best way uh, to hear uh, directly from God. And that's just called expository preaching. Uh, So, you know, be like you picking up a Harry Potter book and jumping right into chapter 10, or are you picking up, um, you know, some novel?
Bible and jumping right in the middle of it or reading right reading the end of the book first, you just wouldn't get the meaning of the book. So we want to go line by line uh, through Scripture, and, and, and that's what we're doing here today. So uh, we're, we're going to try to make some sense of this. So like I said, it is an odd text, you know, when you first read it. Uh, I read one commentator this week. He said, early church leaders were puzzled how best to serve widows, and Christians have been puzzled how to serve widows ever since. So there are some strange things being said here, or what might appear to be strange, um, like does Paul want younger widows to remarry or not? Uh, he seems to contradict himself at first glance. What does it mean for a widow to be enrolled? Is there a list, and what is this list? Uh, well, uh, hopefully we'll try to answer those questions this morning, as well as having our hearts and our minds transformed uh, more and more uh, like the heart and mind of Christ. Uh, but this confusing passage about widows uh, that we'll look at this morning, it really um, doesn't begin until verse 3. Paul doesn't start talking about widows until then. There are these first two verses uh, which place this text right squarely in the midst of of the larger context of this letter in 1 Timothy. In chapter 3, we saw Paul tell Timothy the major purpose of this letter. In verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3, Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you, so if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So we've seen uh, this theme, the household of God, the family, of God, uh, which is the church of God, this theme pops up over and over and over again in this letter. And now Paul is just going to keep hammering away at this theme and, and the implications of the reality of the family of God throughout the rest of this letter in chapters 5 and 6. And we will divide our text this morning in two very unbalanced halves. Uh, the first two verses, living in the family, and then verses 3 through 16, caring for the family. So we have living in the family and caring for the family. So coming right off the heels of the end of chapter 5, where we saw last week Paul encouraged Timothy to not let anyone despise him for his youth. You know, uh, Paul's telling Timothy, don't let the Ephesian elders teach false doctrine. Don't do anything, don't not do anything because of your age and their age, because you're younger and they're older. Uh, just because you're younger than them, uh, don't let them teach false doctrine. And so you can imagine uh, a mid-30s Timothy, that's where we put him at between 30, 35. You know, he's reading this letter. He could kind of hear Paul telling him, you know, don't let anyone despise you for your youth. He could kind of hear him and say, all right, I'm going to go let them know what's up. I'm going to go tell these guys, you know, how it's going to be. I'm going to go make a Facebook post. I'm going to go write a letter to the editor. You know, I'm going to get off my couch and I'm going to do something. Um, you know, he can kind of maybe maybe hear Paul say, go destroy them, Timothy. You know, just go tell them exactly how it is. Uh, so perhaps, you know, Paul knows that Timothy might be thinking like this. So he writes, transitioning right into chapter 5, um, he writes knowing that, um, you know, Timothy may be hearing this thinking, uh, you know, I need to go humiliate them. And Paul's saying, no, don't humiliate them. Instead, Paul writes, do not rebuke an older man, 
but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. You know, he's saying, don't forget, Timothy, that all of these other Christians in Ephesus, they are your family. Don't try to trick yourself and make yourself believe that they're family. Don't pretend that these people are your family. Don't squint your eyes and just force yourself to believe that they are your family. But remember that they are your actual family. The family of God is your real family. So treat them as such. So even as these elders are wrong, they are leading the church astray. Um, you know, Paul, Paul's telling Timothy, man, how would you confront your dad? How would you confront your granddad? Not in a way to score points, not in a way to humiliate him, but in a way of respect, uh, in a way of care. Uh, because of your love for him, you would care more about winning him than you would about uh, winning the argument. So treat the fathers of the church as the fathers that they are, even if they're wrong. And in the same way, treat those who are closer to your age, uh, maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit older, but treat them like brothers, treat them like sisters, treat them like siblings, because they are, right? They may frustrate you and annoy you uh, more than anyone on the planet, but, but treat them like brothers and treat them like sisters. For those of you that have brothers and sisters, you know, that there's times in your life where you cannot stand your brothers and your sisters. Man, you just that they just get on your nerves so bad. You even say really bad things like you hate them and stuff. Um, and, and you may you may always think bad things about them and say bad things about them to their face. But when somebody else comes along and, and somebody else says something about them, somebody else, uh, you know, says, man, your brother is this, or your sister's that you're saying, oh, no, you know, you, you can't talk like that about my brother and my sister uh, because, you know, as much as they frustrate you, um, you will, you love them and you care for them and you'll protect them more than anybody in the world, right? So, but because this is my brother, because this is my sister, um, treat the younger men in the exact same way. Treat treat your siblings uh, in the church just like you would your real siblings because those are brothers and sisters in the church. They are our family. Don't pretend that they're your brothers. They really are. So just don't publicly complain about gossip uh, about your brothers and sisters. Uh, um, you know, don't just stomach it when people talk bad about them, when people slander them. Uh, no, you, you know, you, you're, you're telling these people, you're not going to slander my brother. You're not going to slander my sister, right? You're, 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 you're that closely knit that you're just not going to have it. Uh, they are your brothers and your sisters. And then Paul is telling Timothy, treat older women as your mothers, especially as we will see uh, those who are widowed, those who are in need. How should we treat our mothers? With visits and expected invitations to dinner. That's how we treat our mothers with phone calls, uh, with invitations to kids' activities and events. Uh, you are actively looking for ways to include um, your mothers within the life of your family. Well, in the same way you do with your own mothers, include the older women in the church in the exact same way. That's what Paul's telling Timothy, especially for those who do not have kids or grandkids or this immediate kind of family and available experiences to be included in. Include the mothers in the church in the exact same way. And lastly, Paul tells Timothy, he says, treat the younger women as sisters. 
And with this last caveat, he says, in all purity. And I could really get on a tangent here, but I'm not. I'm going to spend a few minutes on it. You know, this verse has really shaped how I view dating, uh, how I view courtship or whatever you want to call it. Uh, in the Bible, you know, not just in this verse, but in the Bible, you know, I see three categories of male and female relationships. And this first category that we see is the family relationship. You know, think about father, daughter, mother, son, sister sister, brother, cousin. And in this kind of family relationship, there's to be no sexual behavior. Uh, this is just all something that we know to be true. We don't even need the Bible to tell us that. That's the first category, the family relationship. The second category that we see uh, with male and female relationships within the Bible is the marriage relationship. And when the, and within the context of marriage, with marriage relationship, um, you know, sex is not just permissible, it's, it's commandable. It's commanded. Uh, we read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And, and while we we don't have time to unpack all that this morning. I uh, just want to say, you know, sex isn't just a safeguard for marriage, uh, but it is a shadow and it points us to the beauty and the fullness of the gospel. It's a glorious thing. And then the third category and the last category is the neighbor relationship. And this is every other relationship with every human who is not your family and who is not your spouse. And again, we don't have the time needed this morning to just unpack what all the Bible says about sex. Uh, we we should say now that sex uh, should be um, saved only for marriage. Uh, verse 2, though, treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with all purity. So Paul here is linking together the treatment of the opposite sex with sexual purity. Uh, if Timothy is committed, is committed to living a life of absolute purity with the women in his church, his conduct toward the women in his church must be carried out in a familial, family-like framework of purity. So if a man would not feel comfortable engaging in a particular action with his sister or his mother, uh, then that action should be avoided, should be avoided uh, with the neighbor relationship as well, with anybody in that neighbor relationship. Meaning anyone who is not your husband or wife, um, everyone who is your neighbor, you should avoid that kind of activity. All right. Uh, regardless, if there is a person we might have feelings for, like a boyfriend, a girlfriend or whatever, whatever you want to call them, we are still bound uh, by the purity guidelines for our neighbor. All right. For our family, it's our family. Um, treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Paul is saying they are your sisters. Uh, these are your brothers. Don't squint and pretend this is an actual reality now. So how does that change and impact the way you care for one another? Being that these are all of our family members here in this church, members in this church, we're all family. How does that change how we uh, interact with one another and how we may date one another? Um, even think about what purity might mean uh, with one another. And, you know, this is a deeper and longer conversation uh, that we need to continue to have in this church um, you know, you need to have it with your pastors and we need to have it amongst members and just the church as a whole thinking through what what that looks like. But let's keep moving um, to other members of the community here. And now Timothy um, is, is and how Timothy is to better care for them. And that is the widows of the family of God. We've seen living in the family. And now let's move our attention to caring for the family. All right. 
So before getting into this very difficult section, it seems that Paul's trying to answer several different questions that might have been circulating around the church at this time. Like, which widows are truly in need? What is the responsibility of immediate family and other relatives for caring for, caring, um, for widows? How can the church determine which widows qualify for being included on this list of provision? How should the church deal with or care for widows who were not on the list? And what is this list? So first of all, becoming a widow or widower is no doubt a tragic reality uh, for any person at any age and at any time in all in all of human history uh, female widows in the first century they were particularly um, vulnerable without their husband um, who had a more significant opportunity for income uh, to have to make an income becoming a widow was often a sentence of incredible poverty uh, for the rest of this woman's life and when we thought about deacons in chapter 3 we remembered back to act 6 where there was a church run feeding program for widows and because most of these widows wouldn't have even had the means to buy food for themselves um, the Old Testament Jewish law obliged a brother of a guy who just died to marry his new widow uh, not because they were into like anything like weird uh, but it was quite quite the opposite uh, this practice was called leveret marriage uh, the practice that after your brother dies you married his widowed wife and this was a way to ensure that the most vulnerable in the community were still provided for still cared for and still um, were were very valuable members of the family of God and, and it was so that they would know that leveret marriage was really not a thing at this time uh, in the first century for one thing uh, Christians were not bound any longer to the Mosaic law uh, also in increasing numbers um, a lot, many of these Christians were not Jews. So with the law background, the cultural and traditional background of many of these Jewish folks, it didn't apply to some uh, of these other Christians. Uh, marriage by Jesus' time had thankfully come back to the more creational norm of one man and one woman. So while the law of Moses was no longer binding for the people of God to care for widows through the leveret marriage, um, how would the law of God or the law of Christ compel new, the new covenant people of God to care for the people of God and to care for widows? So in verse 3, Paul says, honor widows who are truly widows. And I don't think he's meaning that there were people uh, running around Ephesus, uh, ladies running around Ephesus, pretending to be wid widows, lying, saying that their husbands had died. I don't think that's the case. And, and you know, the, the, like Timothy is to like go out and serve death certificates uh, to the ones who were lying. Uh, the context for the rest of this paragraph really shows what he is meaning is those who are truly alone. Those who are not able to provide for themselves. Those who have no family to care for them. And while the bulk of this section is for how Timothy should sort out how he should think of the church's position and obligation for widows. In verses 4 and 8, they come as a pretty stinging rebuke uh, that Timothy is probably meant to pass along to the family, especially the children of some of these widows in Ephesus. So he says in verse 4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pl 
pleasing in the sight of God. And verse 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now this becomes a more nuanced application in our day and age in 2020. In these days, in Paul's days, uh, there would have been multi-generational homes. It would have been a common expectation for parents and then grandparents to live with their children and grandchildren until the day of their death. And they may even die in the same house. In the Roman world, if you survived infancy, if you survived the teenage years, you probably lived to a ripe old age of 60. Some later than that, some didn't make it to that. But today, uh, while our older generations have access to like Medicaid and Medicare, which eliminates some of these needs that Paul is commanding that families in the church ought to provide, medical care has made it to where we should now maybe plan to live well into our 80s. And you know, that's what we're, we're hoping for, right? Maybe even our 90s. Uh, but on top of that, some of us, um, our parents live in altogether different parts of the country, uh, much less in the same home. Uh, we don't all live and die in the same town, in the same home, like most families throughout all of human history. Because of this, many, if not uh, most of our culture's older generations, they feel like that they are a burden on our families and they would almost prefer to stay completely out of the way. And while there isn't anything inherently wrong with retirement or nursing homes, you know, many times increasing medical needs, um, you know, makes it more um, where you would need more available health care around the clock. That's needed for for many older folks, not to mention there are some who would actually prefer to go in a retirement home or nursing home. Not many, but, but some do. Uh, but for many of us, these kinds of plans and decisions are not very far away. And while elder parents may feel like a burden, the children and grandchildren should never be the ones who are making them feel like a burden. Paul tells them to make some return to their parents. It is the parents, it is the grandparents who have gotten the younger generations where they are today. While all of us had different levels of parental involvement and care and provision in our lives, for many of us, you know, just think about the time and the money that your parents put into you, how much they have invested in you, even if minimal amounts. I mean, for most, you know, for most of us, we grew up at least 18 years free meals, free rent, and you know, it wasn't free to them, but it's but it was free to us. And, and then, you know, what about, for, for a lot of us, free sports, free school, free extracurricular activities, free clothes, free parenting, and on and on and on. Um, Jenna's younger sister gave her a book, and we read it to, to Joe, or we used to read it to Josiah when he was a baby, or not, maybe like a about a year ago. I haven't seen it in the rotation lately, uh, but it's called uh, Love You Forever. And, you know, if you've heard of that, if you've seen that book, it starts out like the mom's taking care of the baby and she loves the baby and it's a baby boy. And, you know, it just shows like it progresses through his life. And, you know, he's an adult boy and the mom's just hugging on to him just like she did when he was a little baby. And it's kind of a sad book. By the end of the book, the boy's taking care of the mom and the boy's like holding the mom uh, kind of like the 
mom held the baby. And, and it just reminded me, like, you know, the roles change. Uh, the roles change. Um, the ones doing the hands-on care, they at some point need that hands-on care, you know. And for younger generations to just have taken and taken and taken from older generations and then not be willing to give back or feel annoyed by or put out by the reality that they need to give back, Paul says this makes them worse than an unbeliever. You know, even non-Christian folk take care of their parents. The Greek and Roman culture of the day would have honored their parents and, and taken care of their parents. And, and, if, and, and Paul's saying, if you, uh, the church, uh, neglect the weak, neglect the vulnerable, neglect those who need provision in your midst, then what kind of gospel are you saying and claiming you believe in? You have denied the gospel is what he's saying. The gospel of the one who is able and capable to provide and care for the weak and the vulnerable as uh, has been done for you. Has that story invaded your life and transformed your life so that now you look to care for and provide for the weak and vulnerable in your midst? Maybe not if you think about your own financial plans uh, the schedule of Netflix that might get interrupted by hanging out with your parents or grandparents, the vacations that you might not be able to take. Instead, verse 4, learn what it means to show godliness. Work out your religion, your faith in the gospel by caring for your parents. You know, when I was writing this yesterday, I was feeling guilty, you know, just thinking about, Try not to cry here. Just thinking about my mom and Jenna's mom and our grandparents and everything they've put into us. I'm like, man. And I need to call somebody. You know, I need to go visit somebody for real. Um, but the real emphasis on this text are those who are actually alone, who are truly widows. You know, it could be this enrolling thing. This list is just a list of widows who are to be cared for. In Acts 6, it says um, this enrolled list is to exist to make sure that no widow falls through the cracks. That no one is to do without food and provision. After all, they don't have kids to care and provide for them. And while undoubtedly that is true and the church should be ongoingly, administratively caring for those who need help, it does seem strange that Paul would make such strict character qualifications to receive food and care. Like, wait, should we only take food to the upright and the noble? And then even the age thing, what about like a 58-year-old widow? Should we not care for her? Should Timothy and the Ephesian church let her starve? Well, I think here is where, uh, I think here is what, here's what I think we're going to see in verses 9 through 16. And the predominant history of interpretation of this text is that of these widows, these widows in Ephesus, they are being set apart, not only for care, not only for, for provision, but actually for service. They aren't being set apart like an official office, uh, like we saw in chapter three with elders and deacons, but they are being set apart as a committed and godly widow. Her primary role or her primary job um, is to be set apart for, for that of prayer, for the work of prayer. She is to set her life apart for prayer and as a model of godliness for the rest of the community. Verse 10, she is to have a reputation 
for good works. I think about uh, Jenny Ritchie at, at, at Redeemer. Uh, some of the folks from Barstown um, may, may kind of get what I'm talking about there. If she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. It seems that Timothy is to enroll these 60-year-old women to be set apart, not only for care and provision, but also for models of godliness and for prayer for the Ephesian church. And this would seem to relieve some of the tension when it comes to this younger women thing. At first, it seems like in verses 11 and 12 that Paul is saying, if younger women want to be remarried, then they are being led by their desires. And then if they do get remarried, they are heaping condemnation on themselves by abandoning their faith. But then in verse 14, he turns right around and he says he wants them to get remarried. Well, if they are enrolled as a widow, as a set-apart widow, who, who is a model of godliness, who has committed herself to prayer and a life of care for the church, and then she leaves that role because of her desire to get remarried, Paul is saying that it is better that she didn't make that initial vow, that she didn't commit herself in that initial role, that that commitment is this kind of role in the first place. It's better to give her some time and wait till she's about 60. All right, where she has shown herself not to have this desire for remarriage. And if not, uh, if she is just younger, if she is just young, um, it's just better for her to get remarried. Um, by the way, uh, this I learned this week, this passage is the groundwork for what later would become the convent um, of widows being set apart, uh, not only in row, but in geography, like put in the same building. Right. That's that's this is the text that they use to justify that. Uh, but the age requirement of 60 over the years, it got more and more relaxed. And then and I'm, I'm going to do a movie reference here. And, and y'all know I am not this this movie I'm by reference. This is not my kind of movie. But I watched it over Christmas break. Jenna was gone and, and I didn't even tell you I watched it. Uh, but but these younger romantic women like Julie Andrews, right from The Sound of Music. Um, she's just hanging around the convent and the nuns are all wondering uh, how you solve a problem like her. Uh, I, I will tell you how you solve a problem like Maria in The Sound of Music. I looked up her name. Uh, she should have never been a problem in the first place, right? Verse 14, I would have younger women uh, or younger widows marry. She's under 60. Just get married. She should have married um, the, the Captain Von Trapp, right, in the first place. Uh, they would show that movie at school. I put my head down, go to sleep. Uh, but I did watch it over Christmas break. She shouldn't have made a vow of celibacy in the first place, and then it wouldn't have been a problem. She is still young. She is still in a better place to serve the community of God, the family of God, the church, by caring for her own family, by caring for her own young children. Nevertheless, there is still an invaluable role in ministry for older widows to partake in. And that's what's encouraging, that, that you never stop serving um, the church, that you never stop uh, playing a valuable role in the church. Uh, these widows are to be set apart for prayer and for service. The church should commit itself to care for all of these widows when they are committing themselves to this role. And that is not to say that the church should not concern themselves with the needs for others, but there is actually a place of discernment and wisdom needed in giving of the church's funds. 
if someone has available help outside of the church, if the person has the ability to work, like 2 Thessalonians 3 speaks of, or if the person has outside help available, then uh, these should be first that these should be first utilized. Uh, with that said, we do understand the complexities of modern societies and modern economies. So there is typically a line in the church's budget uh, for benevolence, a line uh, in the budget to help get folks back on their feet, but not in an ongoing, all needs provided for kind of way. In our modern government and economy with Medicaid and Medicare and so many governmental systems, an American church does not likely need to care for all of a widow's physical needs in the same kind of way it needed to in centuries past. But the government is not able to do it all, uh, nor should it. Uh, we are the family of God, and we want our church to be a place of warmth and welcome, not just for 60-year-old widows and widowers, but for single moms, uh, for drug addicts, uh, for homeless people, for um, very rich, all-alone people, for all people, right? People who are uncared for, uh, people who are unprovided for. Let us learn how to show godliness to our own household. Yes, the households of our immediate families, but also the household of God. We are family here. So who in here needs care, right? Uh, even just relationally. Who should be spending more time at your dinner table? Who should be getting more phone calls and text messages from you uh, throughout this week? We are not a pretend family. We are not squinting or pretending that the person is my sister or my cousin or my brother or my mom. We are family. So how does that change and impact the way that we care for one another? How does it change and impact the way that we interact with one another, the way we date one another, the way we move toward marriage with one another? But also, how does it change and impact the way we care and move toward funerals with one another? God, help us and might the blood of Christ continue to shape us, to transform us, and e even further into the family of God, the household of God, the church of the living God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, and uh, we thank you for this text today. And as it may be confusing or strange for us to read with our natural eyes, uh, we thank you for the spirit of God uh, that indwells uh, your church, that we may interpret this text for your glory and your honor. And may we apply um, it to our hearts, uh, not just in here right in this moment, but as we leave this church, I pray that we would take the application in how we should live in the family of God and care for the family of God. I pray we would take it out of this building today and live it out in our homes, um, in it, at our dinner tables, and in our living rooms, and in our conversations this week. And may we uh, show hospitality to one another, and may we care for and provide for one another as you have so much and graciously and greatly cared for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.